tuning in. This is episode number 158. I want to thank you for taking the time to join me on this episode. I want to say a special hello and greetings to all of my listeners in India. Uh, thank you for taking specific time out to follow along with this podcast. I pray that it en- enriches your life and and blesses you more than I can imagine. So today, I am teaching on something that I've entitled, What Are You Holding On To? Now, um, just before we begin, uh, just a reminder, if you have any particular topics or scriptures that you would like for me to maybe discuss further or address questions that you may have, you can email those to me at thebiblestudypodcasts at gmail.com. Uh, I'll be honored to look over those, uh, maybe study, discuss particular points um, on episodes. Um, Also available for you is I have uh, paperback and Kindle books available um, on Amazon. There's four of them there. Um, The links to those are in the description notes. Um, There's also a a website, Facebook group uh, as well uh, for you to just get more connected to some of the local community that may be uh, connected to this podcast and those yet to have connect. So just want to remind you about those, um, and then we'll just go ahead and get started in this teaching for today. So as I said, this is called, What Are You Holding On To? And when this particular teaching came to mind, I was inquiring of the Lord what to, uh, to, to preach, to teach, on a particular uh, service. And when the Lord spoke to me, Saul, I wasn't originally excited about this um, this particular subject. And in fact, I had taught somewhat connected to this in a previous teaching about obedience. So you may find these two somewhat connected or intertwined. But um, this particular one, it, we will open up with the text from 1 Samuel 15, verse 27. And it says, As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe, and it tore. Now, many of you may be familiar with the story of Saul, king over Israel. In fact, Saul was the first official king because the people of Israel wanted a king like every other nation who would fight their battles for them. Now, while there are many things that can be discovered in that alone, my desire is that you would see three things that Saul was holding on to, and then in like fashion you would turn inward and ask the question, what am I holding on to? I want to charge each one of you with the task of asking and answering that question honestly. What am I holding on to? Now Samuel was the prophet of the day during this time period in Israel. The prophet of this day would be tasked with 
hearing the word of the Lord and communicating it to the people and its leaders. All Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. Now in Samuel chapter 8, we find Israel asking for a king. In chapter 9, Samuel tells Saul that he has been chosen to govern God's people. And in chapter 10, Samuel anoints Saul. Samuel communicates to the people that the king has been found, and so they cast lots, which was an Old Testament way or method for getting to a certain decision. It would be akin for us today as flipping a coin to rule in or out certain choices. Now, while this method leaves most of us scratching our heads, especially in light of having a prophet's voice, it did provide an impartial and unbiased way to render an answer. No one could accuse the prophet of being biased regarding certain decisions. Now, do we use this for our day? No. The indwelled Holy Spirit is our guide. He reveals the heart of God on matters for our lives. We must refine our ability to hear and discern the voice of God over our lives. Nonetheless, Lot's were cast, and it was found to be Saul who was chosen by Lot. However, when they looked for him among the crowd of Israel who had gathered for that decision, he was not found. Now, this leads us to our first point of what Saul was holding on to. In 1 Samuel 10, 21-22, it says, Then he, Samuel, brought forward the tribe of Benjamin, clan by clan, and Matri's clan was taken by Lot. Finally, Saul of Kish was taken. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord, Has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, Yes, he has hidden himself among the supplies. Now, you'll notice through these three points a connected theme for Saul. Point number one, fear in insecurity. Saul was holding on to his insecurities. We later read that he was a full head taller than everyone. He fit the description physically of what the people were looking for. We read that there was no one like him among all the people. He came in the package that people expected, and wow, did they jump right in line. The people, in fact, shouted, long live the king. What they didn't realize was that Saul was small in his own eyes. In chapter 9, verse 21, Saul responds to Samuel earlier, but I am not a Benjaminite from the smallest tribe of Israel, and is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? Saul tells Samuel, the prophet of God, how could he be the king coming from the smallest tribe and his clan being the least of all the clans in his tribe? He is effectively saying, 
I'm a nobody. How could I be king? Perhaps there are those uh, listening to what I am saying who are thinking this same thing to God. How could he ask me to do this? Are you holding on to insecurities that you've developed throughout the years? Do failures or blunders time after time, year after year, cause you, like Saul, to try to hide from what God is calling you to do? Perhaps Saul even has a small taste of what lies ahead of him, and it makes him afraid. Let me just say that the fulfillment that we will find in God's will outweighs the fear of harm, the fear of failure, and the fear of whatever your insecurity is that you carry. God pursued Saul, and he will pursue you. Let go of the insecurity you have clinging to like a ball and chain. God is the supreme problem solver. The next place we will move to is 1 Samuel 13. There is now some disagreement on on how old Saul was when he first became king and exactly how long he ruled and even when Jonathan, his son, was born. We find, though, that Saul chooses 3,000 men from Israel to make their way against the Philistines who were assembled against Israel. Now, that phrase... Saul chose is important to notice, and it leads into our second point of what Saul was holding on to. Fear amidst presumption. Now, this is a word that we do not often use in our language. Presumption is an idea that is taken to be true and often used then as the basis for other ideas, although it is not known for certain. An example of presuming could be something like, she didn't answer the phone, so I presume she is at work. Or looking at how this person dressed poorly, you presume they don't have much money. Saul chose 3,000 men to go up against the Philistines. We do not, however, read of Saul inquiring of the Lord to direct him how many men to take out against the Philistines. Now, it's important to remember, it's not the number that is significant, it's obedience to God. Remember Gideon in Judges, his army went from 33,000 men to only 300, and God delivered the Midianites into their hand with only 300 men. When Saul and his army come against the more vast army of the Philistines, Israel quaked with fear and hid, and even some deserted. Now we find Israel waiting at Gilgal for seven days, the time which Samuel had appointed Saul to wait for his coming, so that Samuel may offer the burnt offering and the peace offerings unto God. But Samuel had not yet come, and people were deserting Saul's army. So Saul makes the grave error by offering up the burnt offering himself, which was only allowed for Samuel to offer. 
Now, as soon as Saul made the burnt offering, Samuel arrives, and Saul goes out to greet him. 1 Samuel 13, 11 through 14. What have you done? asked Samuel. Saul replied, When I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler over his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Now, this is critical for us to recognize. Saul presumed that given the situation before him, he must offer up the offerings before the Lord. We act in presumption when we have some kind of external evidence to lead us to conclusions which may in fact be false. Then those conclusions may lead to other conclusions which may in fact be rooted in falsehood. It's a house built on sand, not rock. Now please notice here, with Saul, he was seeking the Lord's favor, which is a good thing. Now we may only be able to speculate at his motivation, but the thing he was looking for, God's favor, was a good end, but he got there by a wrong method. The right end, the wrong way, is still wrong. Let me say that again. The right end, the wrong way, is still wrong. The key fact Saul had to keep in mind is obey the Lord. If you don't recall that previous teaching, go back and find it through this podcast. Listen to it again. You can find it um, there in the podcast link episode note. But obedience is critical from particular local bodies to the larger body of Christ. Obedience is key. How can the Lord give us more blessing, more impact, more responsibility if he cannot trust us to obey in the small things? God knows that more would be a weight far too great to carry and a failure to carry that rightly would result in much damage to his great name and the body of Christ. We must rightly steward in the day-to-day -day decisions and in hearing the voice of the Lord and obeying. Has God asked something of you that you have not yet to do? Has he asked you to give up something, change something, do something? Our Heavenly Father is seeking a people who will say yes to him. 
Now, I've never noticed this until studying for this teaching, but notice that Saul offered the burnt offering, but he did not offer the peace or also called fellowship offering. His disobedience disconnected him from fellowship. Fellowship with God, peace with God is a treasure worthy of infinite value. We take peace with God for granted. But when we cross the line and violate that peace, we can very instantly value what peace with God is all about. David felt that with his sin with Bathsheba. Restoring that peace in our hearts with God is a thing of infinite value. Don't diminish it. Saul was presumptuous in his actions, possibly from the root of fear. Listen to the voice of God. Don't presume to have the answers. Seek God's face and His voice. Listen and obey. The cost to Saul from this disobedience cost him an everlasting kingdom. Now, this is a huge loss to Saul. Because David ultimately acquires the promise of having one seated upon the throne who we know to fulfill that promise as Jesus the Christ. Saul had the opportunity to be the one through whom the Messiah's line would come. Saul's disobedience, possibly from a root of fear, propelled him into presumption which cost him eternal legacy. Now this is not about the prestige of his name being carried into eternal generations. It's about being the man, woman, boy, or girl that God gives you the opportunity to be by obeying and carrying out everything God makes available. Then, stewarding that to be the one who impacts for God's everlasting kingdom. God is looking for sons and daughters, not slaves. Will you say no to presumption? Will you say yes to obeying God, whatever the cost? The last place that we find ourselves in Saul's story is 1 Samuel chapter 15. God speaks through Samuel to go and totally destroy the Amalekites. Destroy everything and everyone that belongs to them. Saul puts together his army and marches against them. Rather than destroy everything, Saul keeps King Agag alive and the best of the sheep, cattle, calves, and lambs. Everything that was good. These they were unwilling to to destroy, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. 1 Samuel 15, 10 through 18. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. 
When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. Enough, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, Go, completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me, so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe, and it tore. Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. Now notice this. Saul gave the reason that he was afraid of the men, so he gave in to them. Now we see that Saul's heart was once again connected to fear. But perhaps an even greater issue is that for nearly two-thirds of their conversation, Saul sees nothing wrong with what he has done. He does not see what he has done as disobeying God. Saul says, but I did obey the Lord. That should be very concerning. How can one be so convinced that what they are doing, despite blatantly contrary to God's direction, is obeying God. For rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Two things God uses to illustrate what Saul was guilty of, rebellion and arrogance. Saul's heart had grown arrogant. How do I know this? Verse 12 
Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. Saul's heart had become so arrogant, and so he had made for himself in his own name an idol. Saul rebelled against what God had told him to do. Did you know that rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft? Those with ears to hear, hear. Now in all three points, Saul faced a root of fear. See how powerful and influential fear can be if left unchecked and unsurrendered to God. See what it did to Saul? But also, see the progression of Saul's life from insecurity, then into presumption, then into full-on disregard and arrogance and rebellion. Sin is so subtle. It flirts with you with little winks and nods, and before you know it, it has swallowed you whole and has you in its belly. Cut yourself off from the subtle sins, for they will bloom into full-blown manifested disease. Let this be a warning. Give yourself fully to the righteousness of God in Christ, the only one that can remedy your trouble. So what are you holding on to? Is it your insecurity? Are you struggling with what God is calling you to do? Or maybe just experiences in your life that has left a fear in those insecurities. Maybe you're in presumption. Maybe you are in that dangerous middle ground of living like you get to choose because you are afraid if you let go of the reins, you cannot predict the outcome. Or maybe you are in full-on disregard of God, full-on rebellion and arrogance. Wherever you find yourself in that spectrum, God has made the space for you to rightly center back to His face and His voice. If you find yourself in this spectrum and you want to change, I would just ask that you would Posture your heart to God. Confess to Him your wrong. Ask Him to make right in your heart that which He is calling you to. Tell Him that you want His will, His voice, His leadership, not your own. Confess to Him what is it that you are clinging to. Are you clinging to the blessings of God over God Himself? Are you clinging to sin? Give it over to Him. Ask Him to purify your heart and mind. Ask Him to help you live a life of full devotion to Him. Now I want to leave you with a parting thought. Saul ruled for some 40 years. God still blessed him, but he lost legacy and his kingship. He may have 
been doing good things for God. But was he just going through the motions? If it means that I'm close to you, I would trade a million lifetimes for a moment here with you.